right, well, hey, uh, good morning, everybody. And I was just telling Emmanuel as I find this thing, man, that was a great song. Uh, I had not heard, I mean, of course, I'd heard the old hymn because I could beat any of you in a sword, sword drill or Bible trivia. Uh, but man, I'd not heard that song. And just knowing what some of you guys are experiencing in your story and even some conversations 10 minutes ago with some of you, uh, Man, I hope that that was a timely, encouraging song that God used to give you hope. And just as a follow-up to it, let me just read this passage that says this. And um, again, the opportunity we have when we come together, right, is to encourage those who are encouraged and laugh with those who are laughing. And we also have the opportunity to um, encourage those who are discouraged and to walk with those who are struggling. And so let me just read this to us as a source of encouragement. And here's what it says in 2 Corinthians. But we have this treasure, meaning the treasure for those of us who are Christians, the Holy Spirit, our relationship with God, the hope of the gospel, uh, the indwelling of the Spirit. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. But we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always being going over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Since we have the same spirit of faith And so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting our way, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then, um, you know, this is a, a hard verse because this is sometimes a verse that we throw out at people who are going through really hard times and it's not sensitive or kind, but yet it is, there's truth in this, right? And and here's what the next verse says. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I love that verse because what it's saying is, man, whatever you're going through now, Compared to what you will experience one day and the joy and the comfort and the restoration and the hope fulfilled and the sightseeing, man, this will pale on that day in comparison. On this day, it is hard. And some of you may be like, man, I got all sorts of words to describe what I'm going through, but it's not light and it's not momentary. But compared to what you will experience one day, man, there is something better that is coming. And so... This light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And for some of you, the encouragement this morning is this, just turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus because the thing in front of you is hard and if you just keep staring at that, it's going to keep bringing you down. But there is a reality and there is a truth that is bigger than that and better than that. And so don't lose sight of that and don't lose sight of what is waiting when we all do get to heaven. That will be an awesome day. 
because on that day, we will all be perfected, which means I will be able to finally be a worship pastor and lead us in a rousing worship chorus. Um, Hey, thanks for being part of our body, no matter what you're going through. And uh, whatever you're going through, we hope you know you're not going through it alone. And so after the service, there'll be people over there who will be willing to pray for you if we can help. Uh, myself, our staff, our elders are always available. There's ways to let us know that through the little rip-off thing off your bulletin. You can drop it in one of the brown offering boxes if you want prayer, if you want help. Um, but we want to be a body who walks together. So thank you for giving to us that, that privilege. We're glad you're here. Happy Father's Day to the dads in the room. Uh, as I told a bunch of ladies, it's such an awkward day because all you ladies so kindly say to us men, Happy Father's Day, and we're just like, I guess we can't say Happy Father's Day back. So thank you for those kind words. Um, and man, dads, I hope, uh, I hope it is a good day for you, and we would be remiss if we don't say the same thing we say when we talk about Mother's Day, because probably for some of you dads, this is a hard, this is a hard day. I mean, a great day because you're getting some hot dogs, and your kids will give you a tie, and uh, you know, you'll get your favorite ice cream or whatever, but it could be a tough day because you lost your father a year ago or a decade ago, and so for you, this is hard. Um, or maybe your relationship with your dad wasn't what you wanted, or your father whose relationship with a kid isn't what you wanted. And so it's a day where there's great things people are feeling and challenging things people are experiencing, and we want to be cognizant and aware of that as well. Um, but dads, happy Father's Day. Uh, we're going to jump into our text this morning, and it's a well, we'll talk about that in a minute, um, but let me make you aware of one other thing. After this class, what we've done, <clears throat> I think, for several summers, I don't remember how many, but it, it seems that it's, every, man, there's always cultural issues swirling around us, but for the past few summers, it seems that there were several cultural issues over the years that have just kind of um, been magnified, and so what we've done is we've taken a summer and a couple of weeks in the summer to talk about, hey, here's this issue in culture, and what does the book tell us, if anything, about that issue? And so we're going to be doing that starting today and then again next week after this service from 10.30 to 11.30, uh, and it will end at 11.30 because i got to go stretch to play some pickleball. So... Uh, uh, 10.30 to 11.30, we'll be talking about the issue of gender. It's an issue that's in our culture. It's an issue that you can't miss if you look at any news feeds. And we'll be doing a few things. We'll be trying to think about, okay, just what's the, like, objectively, what's even that, con what's the conversation? Like, we just got to objectively understand the conversation about gender and the issues around it. Then we'll talk about, does this book have anything to say about it? Does it talk about it? Does it not talk about it? And then we'll wrap up next week thinking about how can churches... Uh, navigate and act and what is appropriate and not appropriate. And so that's kind of what we'll be talking about the next few weeks. So we do this because what we want to do is be a body of disciples who uh, personally and collectively reach and impact others with God's love and truth. And so that means when there's issues in culture, we as people who want to be disciples need to know, like, how do we even think about this? And then based on how we think about it, man, how do we live in such a way that we can, in this issue, reach and impact other people with God's love and truth? So invite you to come to that. Um, because I have PowerPoint slides already done. And, and it's, in the past, each of these times have been very meaningful, and I'm expectant that God will continue to make this conversation meaningful. So that's after this. Uh, but let me pray, and we'll get into what we have for the day. Father, I pray uh, a blessing over the people that this is a hard day for whatever reason. And you promise to be close to the brokenhearted. That is what you promise, God. And so I just... Uh, on behalf of folks who need you to be close to them, Father, will you in your grace and your kindness um, 
honor that promise in a visible, maybe even tangible way today and this morning. And we know you're a God who acts in grace, and you don't always act according to our timing, and may we be willing to trust you in those things. As we move into the Word today, um, we're grateful that you've uh, preserve things for us to know, and that these have meaning and impact for our lives. And so will the Spirit work as we walk through this to ex- understand it correctly and then to think about how you want it to apply it to our lives. And we're grateful, Father, for this book of Revelation and the time you're giving us and the hope of when we all get to heaven. That will be amazing, Father. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us. Amen. Um, Well, we are in the book of Revelation. If you're visiting, uh, if you're checking us out online for the first time, we started this about a year ago. We will wrap this up no later than August 27th. Wow, that was like a revelatory crack right there. Uh, August 27th, wrap up Revelation. It's a book that for most of the book, we're taking the approach where we could be wrong, but it's looking towards the future, right? It's a book that's looking towards future things that are yet to come. As we remind you of every couple of weeks, there's other ways you can approach it and understand it. Those could be right, we could be wrong, but that's the approach that we're taking. And so today's text is looking at a future reality. It's, again, looking at something that will be true in the future, that will be experienced in the future, that will be seen in the future. And at the same time, it also talks about a present perspective that every single one of us has. If you're just here putting in FaceTime for some reason and you don't believe any of this, but you're here, or if you're like, man, you're just in a moment where you're close to God and passionate in your Christianity walk with Jesus, wherever you are in that spectrum, this future reality that we'll read about has a correlation to a present perspective that every single person in the room has. And last Monday, my kind of routine is on Mondays. Um, I come into my little office. I look out at the birdies. I open up the text and I start studying it. And when I started to get into what this text is about, I was like, huh, this is an interesting topic to be buried and discussed in the book of Revelation. I didn't realize this was here. I didn't expect it to be here. It's a bit surprising that it's here, what the topic is about. And yet, at the heart of this issue and the issue that we're going to see in chapter 18 is this issue could be the reason that some of you walked in here this morning so anxious. It could be the very issue that is the reason and underneath why there's been so much conflict in your marriage what the issue that's buried in this chapter that we're going to see once we see it, it's like, whoa, it is there. It could be the very issue that yesterday it made you feel better than somebody else. That because of how you act in this issue, this is the thing that makes you assess your value and your worth. It could be this issue, the thing that gives you your illusion of your control over life. It's an issue that is something we're going to see about the future, but it has a present perspective and impact today. And so Revelation 18 is our text. If you got a device, if you got a Bible, that'd be amazing. And last week, guess what chapter we were in? Oh, man, you want a water? uh. Last week, we're in Revelation 17. This is Revelation 18. Revelation 17 and 18 are connected, okay? They're, they're, They're dealing with something in the future, but they're kind of coming at it from two different angles, two different perspectives. And what we saw last week is that there were two buckets in Revelation 17. There's buckets of God's truth, 
And then what we saw is there's buckets of all other worldviews and philosophies and truth claims and, and perspectives that are not God's truth. And we compared those two buckets and we said, at the end, God's truth wins, right? And we talked about what happens to this other, um, this other bucket of different claims. Uh, and the other bucket that was not God's truth was symbolized by two different terms. It was symbolized by the word prostitute and also, if you were here, by Babylon, right? Babylon was the symbolic word that was used to discuss, right? Bucket number one is God's truth. Bucket number two is all other truth. And Babylon and prostitute were the word that was used uh, to describe bucket number two. And we saw what happened to everything that's not God's truth, what happens to it. And this chapter continues the thought of two different buckets, right? It, it kind of drills down into an issue of, okay, there's, there's a bucket of God's truth, and within that bucket is some teaching on certain things and some perspectives on certain things. And then there's the non-God bucket, which is a different way of approaching things and a different way of coming to things. And so chapter 18 kind of continues uh, that conversation. But within chapter 18 and even chapter 17, it, it's connected to the broader story of this book, these two chapters are connected to the broader story of this book and the broader story of the theme uh, of Revelation. And the broader story of this book is essentially this book, it's about a king, and it's about a kingdom. It's about a king, and it's about a kingdom. And the triune God is that king, and the triune God created this world, which is his kingdom, and he set it in motion, but very, very quickly it got broken, and it went sideways, and so he has been committed to restoring things in his kingdom the way that he wants them to be. And when you get into the New Testament, Jesus is that king who came once, and as we're in Revelation, what we see is Jesus is the king who's coming again to one day make things totally the way that he wants them to be in his kingdom. That's the hope of this book. And as the story of this kingdom has developed, the king has said, hey, here's certain realities about truth. And we've said, yeah, I kind of like this bucket of my own beliefs and approaches to things. And the king has also said this, hey, in my kingdom... Right? As part of my truth, there is this bucket of how I want people to live. In my kingdom, throughout this book, there is all sorts of instructions about the values of the kingdom, about how we treat other people in the kingdom, about our perspectives for the kingdom, about, uh, man, the way we approach things in the kingdom, policies for the kingdom living in one bucket. But then there's this other bucket of, well, I want to have my own way of trying to live in the kingdom and do things in the kingdom. And these two buckets are in conflict. And every day, every single one of us has to choose, am I going to live in God's kingdom according to the way that God told me in this bucket I should live in his kingdom? Or am I going to treat other people and act towards other people and do things according to this bucket. And today's text drills in on one particular area about ways that the king wanted us to live and do things in his kingdom that is in conflict with the ways things are done in this other bucket. And so Revelation 18 talks about that. Yesterday, uh, Casey and I were having coffee, and she's like, Hey, what are you preaching on? And I'm like, Revelation 18. And she's like, oh, good, I read that. That'll be, you know, I read that. Uh, and she's like, well, what's your sermon about? And I told her. And she's like, wait, wait, 
You're in Revelation 18, right? I'm like, yeah. And she's, you're talking about that? I'm like, yeah. And, and she's like, you're crazy. And I said, yeah. Um, and, and then I said, hey, why don't you read it? Let's just read it. And we read it. And when we read it, she's like, oh, maybe you're not quite as crazy as I thought you were, but you're still crazy. All right, so let me read it. And here's your homework for these next few minutes together. Try to listen to this kind of repeated issue that in this futuristic symbolic book keeps popping up and, and that'll show you what the issue is about. I may help you give you some hints with my reading of the text. But it's a little bit long, but uh, let's do it. We're going to read all of Revelation 18. It is my Father's Day gift to all of you. Ready? So here we go. I don't know why I took the sip of water. It's not like I'm an auctioneer up here or anything. All right, Revelation 18. Listen to what is the big issue being discussed. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every... And remember, Babylon is symbolic of something in this bucket. It's, we're taking the position it's not the literal place. A haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of her passion over sexual morality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped as high as heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she has paid others back, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her." And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality, remember, all this is symbolic, and lived in luxury with her, will, you starting to get the trend? Just in case you've been asleep, will we'll weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and slaves that is human souls. The f that's an interesting line right there, by the way. Slaves, which the Bible is calling out, which are human souls. Interesting. Nothing to do with today's sermon, but the fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls, for in a single hour all this wealth, starting to... Picking up, 
You get in it? All this wealth has been laid to waste. And all the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off. And they cried out as they saw the smoke of a burning. What city was like this? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying, Alas, alas, for the great cities where all who had ships of sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence, and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any crafts will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints, and of all who have been slain on earth. What seems to be a word, a concept, a topic that some of these verses keep coming back to? What, was, what, 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 what has been addressed several times in this symbolic language? Wealth, right? Wealth. I'm not making it up. It's in there, right? Luxury, wealth, grown rich. The, the, at the heart of Revelation 18 is a discussion about Money. It's about wealth, and it's about money. And it's an odd topic in the book of Revelation, and it's an odd topic to be talking about on Father's Day. But maybe as we talk about it, dads, it does raise the issue for some of us about the broader question of what are you investing in? What are you investing in? And dads, at some point in your life, you're going to have to think about what is the priority of what you're spending your time doing. And what sometimes happens to us dads is we say to ourselves, man, just one more, one more, one more construction project. Man, once I just get this one more house built, right, in my construction company, then I'll slow down to be with my family. Or just one more deal. Once I get this deal finished, I know I've not seen my kids, I've missed all the games, but just one more deal, or one more case, or one more client, or one more commitment to take six months of traveling. And what we do as dads sometimes is we say, well, I'm going to kind of keep investing in my work for this period of time, and I know I'm not with my kids, but once this is done, well, then I'll have all that. But what happens is this is done, and then we just do it again and again. And again, and we're talking about money, and we're talking about money on Father's Day, and maybe the reason we're talking about money on Father's Day is because, dads, some of us are choosing to invest our time and our priorities and our attention in things that are other than our family. That's not what this text is necessarily saying, but maybe that is an application for today. This is talking about wealth because it's following up last week, and what it's saying is, look, there are two buckets when it comes to money. There is the bucket about how the king, how God wants us to think about money in his kingdom. And there are, there are opportunities and there is teaching and there's a bucket of how God and his kingdom wants money to be thought about. And then there's another bucket. And this second bucket is contrary to that bucket. And it's a competing approach to money and a competing view of thinking about it and acting towards it and looking at it. And these two buckets 
are in competition. And what this text is doing is say, hey, we're going to drill into this and, and we're going to set some things up. And so here's what we're going to see, right? Babylon continues to be the symbol of this bucket of thinking about money that is in a way that is not what God wants. And so here's what we're going to think about together in our time. Uh, we're going to walk back through the text, and I think there's kind of three big things that jump out on us about uh, the categories that are here to think about. One is a perspective towards money. The next is the acquisition of money. And the third is the use of money. I feel like a, I feel so baptistic with my three points. I wish I had alliterated it, but I didn't, right? But three things that we're going to think about today. Okay, what do we see from the text about a perspective of the kingdom values, the perspective of money versus the other bucket? What are we going to see about how the, in God's kingdom we should acquire it versus the other bucket? How does God and his kingdom want us to use it versus the second Bucket. So, what perspective on money have we heard about and read about in the text that is shown that exists in this second bucket? And how does that uh, interact with what God wants us to do when we think about money? Well, it, it's very interesting, right? We've seen in the very early verses that I read, uh, one perspective that is in this non-God's kingdom bucket of how to think about money, and it's verse um, <clears throat> 7. Again, symbolic, but we, we see this in verse 7, and we see it again later in verse 14. Um, symbolic language. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her, like this is a prayer, give her like a measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart, okay, now we see the perspective that is in this bucket towards money. I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. I sit as a queen, I'm no widow, and mourning I shall never see. The perspective that this person is coming from when it comes to their wealth is that their wealth, pursuing what they want, getting more stuff, is going to be something that helps them right, experience mourning, not experience mourning in their life. It's going to be something that's going to keep them from experiencing these things. It's going to be something that positions them so that their life works, so that their life makes sense. It's going to give us the comfort we want, control we want, so that I'm not going to experience these hardships, right? My perspective towards money in this box is that it's going to give me things so that I never have to experience this. And then a few verses down in verse 14, um, we see this verse for, further uh, developed. The fruit, right, we've just heard about all this financial stuff. The fruit for which your soul longed. There's this long discussion about financial things and wealth, and then it says that was something for which your soul longed. And, and it links back to what Emmanuel said, right, that we all have this longing in our soul for life to be a certain way. For, for life to work, for something we don't yet get and we don't yet experience. And what this perspective of that second bucket is that, hey, the wealth, right, the delicacies and the splendors and the riches and the luxuries, man, those are the fruits for which my soul longs because those things are going to be what help me not have any longings anymore. The first perspective and bucket that comes out of this, the flawed and failed perspective of money, is that it will satisfy the longing 
of your soul. And things that we look to to satisfy the longing of our souls are things that theologically we refer to as idols. And in this bucket that is a different perspective than how God and his kingdom wants us to have a perspective of money. In this bucket, the perspective of money and wealth and stuff and riches and resources and 401ks and bank accounts and stocks getting better and flipping real estate, that, that all of that is going to satisfy something deep inside, that we're longing for something, and then that is going to take away those longings. That is going to be what keeps us from experiencing mourning and hard times and bad things of life, right? That is going to be the kryptonite that keeps all of that stuff away from us. Money. Money. But, uh, but th there's something deeper than that, right? Uh, I, when, I, when I was about, I don't know, <clears throat> 10, 11, or 12, uh, I, there was this... Uh, Man, this, this guy who got his driver's license that was a great family friend of ours. We were family friends. And sometimes after church, he would drive me home, right, because he got his license. Uh, and, man, I so wanted to drive. I mean, when I was like 12, I was like, I want to drive. So I'm going to be authentic. Don't mock me. Will you mock me? <laughs> I would sit in the passenger seat. Maybe I was younger. I'm sure I was much, much younger. I'm sure I was three. I would sit in the passenger seat with a Frisbee. And I would have the Frisbee in front of me. And I'd be like, what a weirdo, right? But I so wanted to drive. I remember, like, I got my driver's license. It was such a great day because I enjoyed driving. I still enjoy driving. When I'm on road trips, I'm, truck trips, I'm like, man, I would be the world's best trucker ever. Uh, I, but, but then, not only did I get my license, some period of time after, I don't remember when, I, my parents were kind enough. I'm sure they bought the thing and were like, bro, you got like a dollar or two. Let's get a car. But I put in a couple hundred bucks, and I got my very own first car, which was a baby blue VW Bug. Oh, it smelled like a VW Bug. It had rust like a VW Bug, and it sounded like one. It has this sound that kind of sounds like what my coffee maker makes when the coffee's done. Kind of like this, I don't know, but it was cool. And then it broke, and I don't have the VW Bug anymore, right? But, but, but I loved driving. I enjoyed the driving. I enjoyed my license. I enjoyed the VW Bug. But I, en I enjoyed that. But what I really enjoyed was something deeper than that. I enjoyed something that that gave me. What en I enjoyed was the control. I enjoyed that, man, I don't have to be dependent on mom no more to take me to basketball practice because I can drive. I don't have, this was before Uber. Okay, some of y'all are like, why don't you just get an Uber, Smith? Well, because I'm old, okay? Like, I could have gotten a dinosaur, but I didn't have to depend upon my mom. If I wanted to go meet my boys at, at White's Diner, I didn't have to, like, try to con my dad into it. I could drive, and I could drive in my car, and it gave me the opportunity to control and to do what I wanted to do, when I wanted to do it, how I wanted to do it, and I didn't have to depend on anybody else. For some of us, that, that's what this is. We like money, but, but, but money's like the driver's license. 
What we really like is what money we think allows and gives to us. We like the control we think it gives us. Because what I wrestle with in my heart and what some of you wrestle with is if my bank account is big, then I can control things. I can make things go the way they want. I somehow can shield from myself what I don't want to have happen, right? And it gives us this illusion, and this is why it gives us this illusion that then we don't have to depend upon anybody else, which means we then don't have to depend upon God because we're self-made. And we don't have to trust in him to provide. We can provide for ourselves. Ooh, Betsy, that is a bad attitude to have. Because that is arrogant and prideful. And the only reason you're able to get up in the morning to go to whatever you do that gives you the money that you have that makes you think you're so important is because God has been gracious to you and given you another day of life. It's all from him. But we want the control that is an illusion to begin with because we have longings in our souls and we don't want to experience life in a broken world and we think that that can keep us from experiencing it. How does the king, some of you all are thinking like, why didn't I just stay home and start my charcoal grill this morning? How, how does the king want us to think about perspective of money in his kingdom? Here's, and we're not going to go through all the Bible verses, but if you were to summarize all the Bible verses about what the perspective should be towards money as kingdom, is it is a gift to be stewarded. We talk about that word a lot, but stewarded means this. Somebody gives something to you, and they say to you, use this in a way that aligns with what I want to see happen. And the way that we as Christ followers should see any stuff that we have is that God has in his grace reached out his hand to you and said, I am going to give some things to you. But I want you to use the things that I've given to you in a way that furthers the values and the work of my kingdom. We are stewards of it. We are entrusted with it. But we are entrusted with it not to... We are entrusted with it to... That's what the story is. That's what, the, that's what we see repeatedly. And every time, because there are nincompoops out there who will make a lot of money saying, if you're a Christian, you're rich, you're sinful. No, you're not sinful. There were so many amazingly, I say this every time because it's so important, so many amazingly wealthy, rich people. I'm reading through the Old Testament. And there's a, it says, God gave him immense wealth. God makes some people so wealthy. It is not wrong to be rich. But it is wrong, no matter what you have, not to use what you have in a way that aligns with the kingdom of God. To say, mine, mine, mine. You know who is the most generous? If you look at giving trends, this is not a giving sermon. It's people who are in the lower socioeconomic status. Isn't that? It's, it's interesting. It's interesting. It's something to be stewarded. Are you, am I, are we stewarding what we have in a way that lines with God's kingdom? Then what we see is there's something about uh, 
right? How, how do we want us to, we talked about view, how do we get money? What's the bucket over here that talks about how we get money? Well, 18, 5, and 6. Uh, this is, again, this is a voice from heaven kind of praying um, punishment on this second bucket worldview. And it says this, For her sins are heaped up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities, meaning the wealth and the way that wealth was gotten in this bucket is linked with sin and linked with, linked with iniquity and linked with wrongdoing. And it says, Repay her double for her deeds and mix a double portion for her in the cup that she has mixed, right? Pay her back as she, verse 6, pay her back as she herself has paid back others. This is what it's saying. That bucket and people who are motivated by that bucket, man, they have done wrong things to other people. They have wounded other people. They have used other people. They have taken advantage of other people, right? And what this is, man, will you bring justice because they've treated people poorly? Will they now understand what that feels like, right? Within this is this idea that a lot of people in that bucket, that their view on acquiring wealth is this, the, a flawed and a failed way to acquire money is to unjustly take advantage of others. Unjustly take advantage of others. And some of you are thinking, well, I don't do that because I'm not like a boss that pays wages, so I'm good. Maybe we are. But maybe every time we lie about how many hours we worked, we're taking advantage of the people who pay us. Maybe if you're an attorney or an accountant and you bill hours, man, every time you add an extra tenth because like, well, I thought about being a lawyer on the beach, so I'm just going to bill every client 15 minutes. Well, maybe you're taking advantage of others. In contrast, if you were to read through Scripture, how does the king want us to acquire money? Honestly and fairly work for money while realizing it's a gift from God. And then... What does the text tell us about how these people wrongly use their money? Verses uh, 3 and 7 says this. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the merchants of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Luxurious living. Next verse tells us another perspective on this. I think it's verse 7. As she... This is, this is kind of the key. As she did what? Glorified who? Herself. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, right? This second bucket of using money in the kingdom, it's about glorifying yourself and living in luxury. Here's the flawed and failed way to use money, right? Perspective of money, acquiring money. Here's the flawed way to use money prioritize the use of money for your own luxury gain and purposes. In this bucket, that's what that said. That, that bucket is all about glorify yourself, yourself, yourself. Get as much as you can to make yourself as comfortable as you can, to give yourself as much pleasure from you can, from as much stuff as you can get. Now, there is nothing wrong with luxury. I would rather sit on a comfy, plush sofa with nice cushions than on a piece of wicker that is falling apart, okay? 
There's nothing wrong inherently with luxury, right? Again, with wealth, what's wrong is the prioritization that is given to that. A flawed perspective is I'm going to glorify myself. I'm going to bring luxury to myself. And the proper way in the kingdom bucket is this. Prioritize using what God gives you in a way that invests in and furthers his kingdom and glory. And let me just pause. I've been here 10 years and however many months. And man, the way that so many of you in our church as a whole has done this, man, it's remarkable. It is remarkable the way that I have watched, benefited from, seen, heard others benefit from, the way that so many of you do this. That you're like, man, God's given me stuff and I want to be gracious and generous and I want to think about what it means to reinvest in his kingdom. And it is a joy for so many of you to do that. And you should be commended for that because that is a way that you are pleasing and you are honoring God But not all of us are doing this. Not all of us are doing this. And not all of us are doing this because you know why? We're scared to do this. We're scared to let it go. And we're scared to let it go because we think that is what's going to make our life work and make it all okay. That is an illusion. That is an illusion. What makes life okay is God's gracious care and provision for us. He's in charge, and we, we either trust him or we don't. Let me get, I'm not a biology professor, but let me tell you something. You're either pregnant or you're not. Ain't no sliding scale. As my friend said, it's binary. I don't know what that means still, but it, it's one or two. You either trust God, I either trust God, or you don't. And so this text, there's not 42 points. It brings us to this one big question, and here's the big question. Today, what this text, in the middle of Revelation, I don't know why it's there. Maybe it's there because God knows we struggle with this. And at the end of the story, he's going to remind us in the middle of our story that we need to do a little gut check on ourselves and see where we're sitting, right? But are you, am I, are you, are we using money to advance your kingdom, my kingdom, our kingdom, or are you stewarding money to further God's kingdom? It's one or the other. One of those two things is prioritized, right? And one of those two things is prioritized. And I love this line that I heard once, which is true, because this comes from the Bible. It's not the size of the gift, it's the size of the sacrifice. For some people in this room, I don't know, I don't know, right? Um, Let me just more broadly say this. For some Christians in this country, they could write a $200,000 check and not even blink. Like, it could be like me going to the store to buy a lime, Okay, some Christians, they could write a 2,000, and it's, it's like, oh yeah, nothing. For other Christians, a $20 gift is like, man, that's a lot. But it's not the size of the gift, it's the size of the sacrifice. And so, we'll quickly walk through this. When, when in this story, when the people look and they see all of the stuff that they've lived according to this bucket to get it, 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 when it's gone, and what this thing is saying is like, look, God's truth is going to win. 
and God's expectations of money are going to win, and these buckets are not going to win, and these buckets at the end of the story are going to leave us hollow. When this starts to happen throughout Revelation 18, how do people feel about this? There's two different impacts that we've seen, that we've read. The first impact when everybody's like, bro, I'm like, where's my 401k? Like, it gone. Like, what happened? The first impact people are going to have is shock. Shock. Revelation 18, 17 says this, for in a single hour, all this wealth has disappeared. Revelation two verses down, same idea, says this, uh, 19, and they threw dust on their heads. These are all the rich merchants or people throwing dust on their heads as they wept and they mourned crying, right? Alas, for the great city where all had ships grew rich, all of this bucket, right? It says this, in a single hour, boom, it was laid to waste. It was gone. And when it's gone, the people who thought this was going to make it all work are like, bro, like it's gone. And everything that I look to to give me control and to make me think it'd be okay isn't there anymore. What do I do now? Anything I have, it is one electrical fire from being gone, it is one bank failure from being gone. It is a bad investment. It is me getting some injury that I can't speak anymore, so I can't preach anymore. It, it, it. We think we have so much control. We don't have any control. A loving, sovereign, good father is in control. And we are riding the current of the story that he is authoring for us. And this is just a, a warning that like, hey, our money, your success, your, success, your success, right? Your position, your job, we just need to be careful realizing, man, it can be gone like that and it's not guaranteed. Which means we need to be careful letting that root too deeply into our hearts and into our uh, identity and into our security. There's shock when it's gone. It's like, dude, 60 minutes, it's all gone. And then there's more than shock, there's sadness, because in a bunch of verses, and we won't, we'll, we'll throw a few up here real quick because we've got to keep moving on, but we, we see different groups of people having sadness, right? Kings of the earth, what we see, weep and wail. Then we're going to see a few verses about merchants. You can keep flipping through them. The merchants weep and mourn. I think we got another merchants. It's another group of merchants. Merchants who gained wealth weep and mourning. And we might have one more if I remember my slides correctly. And we don't, right? Different groups of people. Oh, we do. All this wealth has been laid. All the shipmasters, seafaring, sailors, trade stood far off. And what they did far off is they weeping and they mourned. There was sadness. When everything that everybody looked to, it disappeared. Shock, sadness. Shock, sadness. Shock, sadness. Hey, I'm not saying that's going to happen to any of us, but what I'm saying is when our perspective of it's all a gift from God, he's the one that opens our hands to give to us so that we can open our hands, it makes it a lot easier to deal with the bumps and bruises and speed bumps that come and that go because we know that we're not in charge. He is. And you either trust him or you don't. Then there's a challenge in here. There's a call in here. 
there's something that God is saying to the original readers now. And interestingly, for those who take a preterist view, man, Rome, the economy, it was brutal. They, they taxed people. They took things from people. They took advantage of people. There could be something and probably is something there. But for the original readers, for us today, then there's a call that God says to us. And it's in verse 4, and it says this. I heard another voice saying, come out of her, my people lest you take part in her sins. God is calling the original readers, and God is calling everybody who reads this. He's calling them. He's challenging them. He's inviting them. He says, look, come out of her, lest you take part in her sins. In other words, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus who's found yourself in this box, what he's like is, man, you got to get out of that box, and you got to get back over here. It is a call to say, you've got to get out of, come out of that. Because that ultimately isn't good and it doesn't satisfy. And there's all sorts of, of hard things that you don't know that are linked with you focusing on this and prioritizing this. Just come over here and live in my kingdom the way that I want you to live to, in my kingdom, relating to the stuff that I give you and the way that I want you to use your stuff. So here's the option for you and me this morning on this Father's Day. Before we go stretch to play pickleball or eat some hot dogs or do whatever it is, right? There's, there's two buckets. And we have to decide which bucket are we going to be in. Which bucket are we in? Which bucket? Here are the two buckets, right? We got this little graph that comes up. This summarizes it. The wrong way and the king's way. Money will satisfy the longing of your soul. Acquire money by unjustly taking advantage and prioritize all that for your own self. Verse, man, it's a gift from a loving, benevolent king to be stewarded. Honestly and fairly work for it, realizing it, and prioritize using it in a way that invests and furthers his kingdom. Which one of these columns best aligns and summarizes your perspective? We got a bunch of kids who are graduating college. We got kids who have just graduated high school. You will, you can get on a track that makes it all about this without even knowing it. You can get on a track where it's about how much can I get, how fast can I get it, how successfully can I get it, and I don't care the cost that it takes me. And I remember when I was in college, I shared this a few years ago, there was this Italian dude who came, and I remember, right, at the end of his talk, he was a Christian author, at the end of his talk, as he's spitting with spit, he's looking at all these kids in a very wealthy school, and he ends, after he's ramped up this 39, 40-minute talk with this passionate Italian pounding on the thing, so don't waste your life for money. Don't waste your life for money. If you are a high school graduate, if you are a college graduate, if you're at a place thinking about what's next, don't waste your life for money. Work hard, and if God gives you money, praise God for his blessing and use it for the good of his glory and kingdom. Which one of these is you. And if you're here, what the king is saying to you this morning is, hey, come out of that. 
and get back over here. Because there's things I've given to you and ways I want to use you in my kingdom. And if you're over here, man, I, I want you over here so I can bless you and work through you for the good of my kingdom, for my glory, and for your own good. God will use money to cause you to come to a place where you will learn to trust him more, and God is always faithful. It may not be a brand new Toyota Land Cruiser that's coming out in 2024, okay? It is coming out in 2024, but he will bless you. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here, and I'm going to read to you something. Um, and I've shared this before, too. Let me, let me show you this. Ready? I'm going to do something. I'm not being sacrilegious. This page is not in my... This page has come out of my Bible. Why do pages come out of the Bible besides dogs eating it or little kids messing with it? Or you be, it comes out of Bibles because you've read that so many times you've turned there and it's come out. This, I've read this so many times. I've read this panicked, panicked in a Starbucks parking lot in Dallas, Texas, because I had a mortgage payment due. I was a seminary student. I did not have the money. I mean, when I say I don't have the money, I mean, I didn't have the money. I read this in a Starbucks parking lot, weeping, saying, God, what's, I don't know, processing through it. Back in the day, we had mailboxes at seminary. I went there. I've told you all this, and it is true. I opened up my seminary mailbox. There was a check from somebody who had no idea what was going on that was the exact amount of my rent. That's why this comes out of my Bible. And I'm going to read this to you um, as an encouragement for some of you in a challenge. Ready? And then we'll worship. And the ending song doesn't necessarily have a thematic money and... We're not about to pass the plate or start a building campaign, so don't worry, okay? But this is what the king tells you. The king says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the ocean, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, meaning people who don't know Jesus, seek after these things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And then there's this word, but. You can do all of that. Don't do all of that with anxiety. But instead, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added unto you. You can worry. You can freak out. You can panic. Don't do that. But instead, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. What is one tangible way in the next 72 hours that you can use one thing that God has given to you to seek first his kingdom? I would challenge you to think about that. And I would challenge you 
Don't be anxious. Father, you are a kind God who provides for us. You know what every single one of us in this room, what our needs are. And I pray that for those who are facing financial anxiety, you will bring peace and comfort and trust. For those of us who have seen you provide in so many ways, I pray that you will give us a spirit of thankfulness and gratitude. I pray that for every one of us, Father, you will give us a sense of contentment with what you've given us. And Father, may we be a church and a body who is purposeful in what you've given us to try to serve and impact other people around us for the glory of, of the kingdom and for the good of their souls. Thank you, God, for your benevolence and kindness and the hope you've given us. Amen.